somebody uh, was upset. Somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody was upset that Apple is making all of their employees come back to work in the near future. You're listening to the Snob OS podcast, the podcast for Apple snobs. Yo, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech. And this is Nika Monford, a.k.a. Tech Savvy Diva. And welcome back to another episode of the Snob OS Show, the show for Apple snobs, where we talk all things Apple and then some. We definitely want to thank you back. This is episode 164. Uh, We definitely want to thank you for your continued support. Thank you for continuing to listen. Hopefully you are telling a friend to tell a friend. You're sharing the podcast. Writing reviews, we still need those. Uh, if you want to actually become a uh, financial supporter, you can go to patreon.com forward slash snob OS cast and you can actually show us some love financially and you'll get additional content as a extra thank you. But until then, we definitely wanted to get into this show. We're going to move into the lowdown where we talk all things Apple and uh, didn't too much happen. Um, with Apple this week, I think everybody's still coming down off of the, uh, spring event high where they announced all the new, the Mac studio and then the Mac studio display and then the M1 ultra and then all the new colored iPhones. Uh, but yesterday, uh, iOS 15.4 dropped and this is a pretty dope, uh, update because it does actually finally release a lot of the beta features that a lot of people have been talking about for the longest time. So I'm not going to list all of them. So I'm just going to, I listed like a couple bullet points that I wanted to share. And then I want to find out which one you need to think, which one, which one you're going to use the most or which one you think is going to be most beneficial. So uh, just re- real quick to run down this list. Uh, the first one is the ability to use face ID with your mask. So for those of you who don't have an uh, an Apple Watch, you could use your Apple Watch as verification to unlock your phone if you had a mask on. iOS 15.4 re-scans your face and focuses on your eyes as verification. So when you have a mask on, Face ID will still work because it's focusing on your eyes. So you do have to re-scan your face and they also give you an option to scan your face with glasses. So I have glasses and I, I wear two different pair of glasses depending on what the situation is. So I was able to not only scan my face again so it could recognize my face when I have my mask on. It gave me the ability to scan my face with these glasses and scan my face with another pair of glasses that I wear. So with so if I've got a glasses on and my mask, Apple is doing double, triple duty to make sure it validates who I am before it unlocks it was pretty cool because when I did my face scan, I had my glasses on. I know I'm going to wear my glasses. And then after it did it with my glasses on, they said, you know, take your glasses off and let's do another. And I was like, oh, okay, I see you. Yep, yep, yep. In addition to that, one of the things that I ran into, I have an Apple Watch. So when I would go to unlock my phone and I had my mask on, it would validate through my watch. The only, only time it didn't do that is when I was on Apple Pay. If I was paying for something, at the checkout line with Apple Pay, it wouldn't unlock verify with my watch. I would actually have to enter the passcode to pay with Apple Pay. Well, with uh, 15.4 and using Face ID with your mask, now it'll scan your face to actually do Apple Pay. So another one is iCloud keychain notes. So Apple's quote unquote password manager, it will save your username and password for websites. That was pretty much it. Now you can actually go in and put notes in that password and say, okay, this is my kid's PayPal account, or this is my mother's email account. Cause I have to, I have to save my mother's email username and password. Same. So when she forgets it, I got to send it to her. So now I can put actual notes, especially if you have multiple things. Like I've got eight Google accounts. So the ability to be able to go in and add a note to say, okay, this is my brother tech. This is my personal, this is my family. This is our, you know, SnobOS Gmail. That's a Google account. I can add a note using iCloud keychain notes to differentiate the different accounts. 
Uh, another one is the AirTags anti-stalking message. They really didn't change anything, but they just, when you go to add an AirTag using the Find My uh, app, uh, it'll add a message that says, now, hey, don't be trying to use this to stalk nobody. This is not <laughs> what it's for. They it's this is explicitly, not what it's for. Right. This is, they explicitly say that just, just to let you know that that's not what this is for. So I thought that was cool. That's kind of like a response from all the people who are using AirTags to stalk people. Apple's like their disclaimer, look, don't be trying to sue us. Don't come after us. We told you that's not what it's for, right? Right. Um, another one is SharePlay. Uh, that's becoming more and more available um, on different devices, different apps. Like, for instance, ESPN, if you want to watch March Madness, for example, is kicking off right now. And if you wanted to watch a basketball game with somebody using uh, SharePlay, you can go into ESPN+. Plus. You're watching the show. You can click the share play button and actually watch that live with somebody else. So that features come more widely useful, especially in third party apps. Uh, tap to pay on iPhone. So if you are a merchant and you have a, a products that you sell regularly, like a flea market or at an expo, you can actually use your phone as the POS to where somebody else, if they have like a credit card or they have an iPhone that they want to pay for something, you can hold your phone. They can tap their phone to yours and you can pay for things that way. Uh, universal control. If you have a Mac uh, that has the right uh, Mac OS Monterey, which is 12.3, and you put iOS 15.4 on your iPad, you can use universal control. So basically what you can do is you can put your Mac next to your iPad and you can drag and drop pictures. You can drag and drop notes. You can actually use your mouse on the trackpad for your laptop and then move that over. You can touch things. You can interact with your iPad using the touchpad on your Mac, a whole bunch of other things. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then the last notable thing is iPad notes, corner gestures. So basically similar to like the Mac OS Monterey feature to where you can go down and use your uh, mouse and the trackpad to highlight the lower right-hand corner. You can put a quick note. You can do the same thing on iPad. So if you take your finger in the lower right hand corner and kind of swipe up towards the middle, it'll pull up a quick note to where you can do quite type a quick email address, phone number, whatever the case may be. So though there's a bunch of other features and I put a, we'll put a link to the show notes. But out of all the ones that I um, quickly ran through, is there any that you're interested in Any that you think most people will be interested in? What, what's your take? I'm thinking the face ID with mask, obviously, because mm -hmm. we are still in a pandemic, even though people are trying to make you think we're not, we are still in one. Um, the iCloud keychain notes, definitely going to be helpful. Um, and I think probably the universal control. I think those are probably my top three, you know, features that I will probably use the most and I think are the coolest. There's some backend stuff. I think there's some security stuff that, you know, isn't the flashy you know, nifty, neat, you know, type of things. But, um, you know, there's some security stuff on the back end. So definitely do the update. But I think those three things are probably the my top three of of the of the features for 15.4. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. Probably I'll probably play the most with universal control because I have the uh, what is a 16 inch uh, mm -hmm. MacBook. Um, so I got the screen that big, so I wouldn't need a external monitor, but universal control on an iPad before universal control, they had something called sidecar where you had to go into the um, Mac preferences and turn on sidecar and you could use it specifically as an external monitor. Well, universal control does something a little bit different to where you may want to have two separate environments. So you want to be, you want to have your iPad on an iPad app where you're doing something like watching a movie or checking email or whatever, and you want to use your Mac as its own Mac OS environment, but you can still move between the two seamlessly. If you have a trackpad or you have a magic mouse, you know, and you can click like, for instance, say you wanted to pause the video that's playing on your iPad, but you're working on your Mac. You can quickly use your trackpad and swipe over and pause the video so you can answer the phone or whatever the case may be. So it just makes it that much easier, that more seamless without having to actually go in and say, oh, 
you know, do these setup things. So once you set it up, it's pretty seamless. Like I said, I, I played with it a little bit yesterday and it's pretty dope. So I'll probably play with that the most. All right. All right. Moving right along. The other store that we have in the lowdown, it looks like somebody uh, was upset. Somebody. <laughs> somebody was upset that Apple is making all of their employees come back to work in the near future. Uh, so this is, I'm speculating. That's I'm, I don't know, maybe, but I'm speculating and saying that, that somebody, somebody's upset. <laughs> So uh, Apple Park, which is the big headquarters in, uh, in uh, what's that, Cupertino, I think it Cupertino. is somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they got not a bomb threat, but uh, employees, I think this was last week or earlier this week, employees were partially evacuated after an envelope with a white powder substance was discovered. So somebody found something. Ran up the red flags, called, you know, the important, you know, the paramedics, you know, anybody important. And uh, employees were partially evacuated. Uh, employees were eventually allowed to go back inside. But it's unclear if what, who or where the substance may have been or where it came from. But again, you know, Apple Park, you know, they had a little scare. And again, like I mentioned, <laughs> I think somebody was protesting the fact that Apple like other companies, there are a lot of other companies in, right about now that are kind of deciding, toying with, or actually putting in plans to have their employees come back to work. So <laughs> the, the announcement was, the announcement was just made, um, I think within the last week that mm -hmm. most of the big tech companies are coming back. I think Google is coming back, uh, April 4th, mm -hmm. uh, Twitter, March 15th. Apple uh, starting uh, March 11th. Again, this is kind of like your hybrid work thing uh, with you coming in two to three days a week, but it is a huge shift um, from, you know, completely remote. We heard the president during the State of the Union talking about it's time to open it back up um, when he worked downstairs from his house, but that's neither here nor there. But when I first read this article, that is really what kind of went into my mind. I was uh, talking to one of my neighbors uh, last week and she was like, are you going back to work? And I told her about our policy and how that works. And she was like, oh, we're having to go back. I was like, when? She was like the 29th. And I know some friends who work in the news industry, they started back last week. So, you know, people are slowly starting to trickle in and it's one of those things where they're like, you know, what can I do? It's kind of like the whole, you know, when you're in high school, people pull the um, fire alarm to to get uh you know school you know out or whatever get so, out a couple hours early or something yeah yep so you know that was my my first thought I hope that's the case because I would hate for it to be something actually serious and somebody doing a trial right. run or you know someone trying to test it out um I would rather it much be on the latter end of things where people not wanting to go into work when rather than someone actually trying to cause harm so right absolutely but um. If you weren't, I, I'm lucky to be 100% remote, regardless of what was going on before the pandemic. Um, it's going to, as, as nice as I'm sure it was for a lot of people over the past two, two and a half years to be, have that freedom and that comfortability, even more than freedom, just comfortability to be able to log in when technology clearly can handle that, um, as nice as that was, I hope people didn't think that that was the way it was going to be immediately going forward. Now, I think that companies will eventually start to move towards that, but I think it's going to take a while. It's just, it's just going, it's a culture shift. It's a, a complete culture shift because the way companies have always been run since, you know, corporations, you know, started is being come to work, right? Butts and seats. Right. Butts and seats, you know, productivity, collaboration, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think a pandemic that just in the middle just made everybody work from home. I don't think that was going to be enough. Now it's a start. I don't think it was going to be enough for companies to say, yeah, you know what? 
everybody just stay at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah. think they're going to bring people back. And then as the trend and as the culture shifts towards more highly sought after uh, candidates, include hybrid and or fully remote as a hard, fast requirement before they'll take a position or a lot of highly sought after, highly specialized, highly skilled employees start to leave corporate because they have more opportunities to go freelance, to contract or to start their own business. And have or just companies or just companies who are open to the whole remote thing. Right, right. The competition part, mm-hmm. you know, they start to lose employees to companies that are starting out the gate more hybrid or 100% remote. It's going to take a while. Uh, it sucks that people now have to go back to work and then wait for that to happen. Especially but when gas is 6 $7 a gallon. Exactly. Sure. Especially when gas is 6 $7 nowadays. This inflation that people are getting over on. Price gouging. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Um, it's going to take a while because this is a complete culture shift. So uh, hang in there. <laughs> you may have to grin and bear it and go back to work and put on some real clothes. And <laughs> but I think we're getting there. We're going there. I don't think we're. I don't think we're. I don't think people were gonna. I hope people didn't expect to be at home forever. Sent from COVID until I think they were just gonna bring people back. I think people really did think that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you mentioned, it is a culture shift. And for the last two and a half years. Most of the workforce has been working from home and the world did not end. No, people are still not. hitting their deliverables. I think people are probably more productive. So I think if anything, this is a lesson to corporations to say, Hey, this can work. Right. We may not ever be a hundred percent remote, but we can allow a hybrid environment going forward. And again, there are going to be some people who want to go back in the office and want to be there full time. There are going to be some people who is like, I don't ever want to go back. I want to stay at home. And so kind of the sweet spot in the middle is this hybrid type of situation. So if you want to be in the office 100% full time, come on back. It's probably more people than not because they've been home with their kids for two and a half years. And it's like, let me get out of here. And there are going to be some people that want to come in for a little bit, but not all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be a nice mixture. So you can have people coming back into the office who want to be there. And you can still have, you know, the spaces occupied and full. I just think we're still in the pandemic and people are trying to push us to believe that we're not. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think once we get a firm grasp on this whole COVID-19 and we start to see kind of where things land, I think ultimately this, this was an exercise. I hate to call it an exercise, but this was an exercise in showing corporations, yes, we can do remote and do it Mm -hmm. well and showing employees how it can be done. And honestly, if you're working for a company and they don't offer it, there are so many other options. options. You have options. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't think we had that before, not to this extent where you can use this as a leverage, as a tool to steal talent from other places or have other places you can go and still, you know, make your salary, do the work you enjoy. And all of that kind of wrapped into one. All right. All right. That makes sense. So that's all I had for the lowdown. We'll move into second string and I'm going to flip these around since we're talking or on the subject of hybrid and uh, remote uh, Microsoft uh, and it's office 365 is kind of like one, of, not kind of like one of the leaders as it goes to company uh, collaboration, communication things of that nature. So uh, it looks like Office 365 is leaning towards making it easier for people to do remote or to do hybrid because they have um, released some new features in Office 365 to make it remote friendly. And I didn't put all the features, but one of the things that makes perfect sense, uh, speaking of hybrid, right? And for those who are unfamiliar, hybrid is like uh, you may work mon uh work in 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 the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Mondays and Fridays you work at home or you may be 3 days on, 3 days off. So however you do it, you're not 9 to 5, you're not in the office 40 hours a week, right? 
So one of the cooler features that I saw that made perfect sense was uh, Outlook. They have an RSVP feature. So uh, if you're in Outlook and you like, say me and Nika are having a meeting, right? Uh, I create the appointment. And when you make the appointment for the time and the date, there also has a, a space for location, right? So in the location specifics, you can define or highlight if people are going to join the meeting virtually or in person. Before you didn't have that option. You just had to, you know, if you, teams. if you right, right. If you if it was a Teams or a Zoom event, you know, you just had to chime in whether you're at your desk at work or at your desk at home. Well, Outlook specifically, you have the option to um give somebody the option to say whether they're joining the meeting virtually via over teleconferencing like Teams or they're actually joining in the meeting office, in the meeting space at the actual location. So there's a bunch of other features, but I just thought that was cool. Speaking of the fact that it's going to take some time for companies to start adopting this whole remote or hybrid um, work week. Uh, I think Microsoft is like, all right, well, we're going to make it easier for people to recognize where you are, whether it be at home or actually in the office. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And one of the things we've had issues just this week, we were talking about before that we start recording the show is that we had PI planning Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, which is basically all day meetings where you plan out what you're going to do for the next two or three months. Mm -hmm. Um, and people, uh, flew into our Austin office for this meet for these meetings because it's a big deal. So we had people physically in the office. We had people, you know, in Detroit in that office, you know, just all over the place. We're using teams. People haven't been using those rooms because everybody's been home. We had so many issues with teams this week with people who are actually in the room. So we have the cameras that kind of follow who's ever talking and, mm -hmm. you know, the one touch button where it all pops up and all those things. We would be talking on the, those of us who were virtual people in the room, they'd be talking, they can hear us. They, the call will completely drop. And, you know, it was, it's getting back into the rhythm of being in office. The technology definitely, the technology ramped up and advanced for being not in the office. It's at going all. to happen at all. Everybody at home. Right. right. And so now that people are going back into office, they are going to have to take a look at the software as well to make sure that it works in the reverse order um, as well, because you know, everybody, that was one of our things we put down that, you know, was a struggle for the sprint was teams. We get it to work the way we want it to. So, you know, it's great that they're making it, you know, especially with the virtually accepting, but making it work one way, meaning everyone being not in a centralized location. But now that people are going back to work, they have to be able to make sure that it works both ways and and make it easier and less connectivity issues because this week was nuts. Can you hear us? Can you hear us? We lost you. They're talking over us. Can you hear me? Type in the chat. Oh it was, boy. it was pretty. Yeah, it was. And it was like all week because we had these meetings from like nine to five all yes. day. Monday, yes. Tuesday, so Wednesday. I can see how a boss or an executive or a CEO like scrub that everybody back in the office right. because I'm, you know, these old, no, I don't, I hate to be ageist. <laughs> but you know, you know, they ain't they ain't got time for all that. It's like, look, right. I'm trying to run this meeting. I'm not trying to fumble around with cameras and mics and and conference IDs and logins and mutant participants and private messages versus public messages in the chat. Mm -hmm. And look, scr scrub that. Everybody come in the office. So Microsoft <laughs> looks like it's like, look, it ain't about to be us that y'all about to blame us. You can't blame this on the technology. <laughs> We're right. going to push it so that it, if there is an issue, it's definitely on the people side because we make sure that our software is top notch. So glad to see that these updates are, are coming and hopefully it will be better for us. Right. <laughs> Who have to use it? <laughs> all right. All right. Enough of that. Uh, let's move into some Instagram. Um, I'm a father. I have, uh, a of age tweens and teens who are on social media. So Instagram, uh, in response to, in my opinion, 
in response to a lot of flack that Instagram and Facebook slash Meta as a parent company was getting in, you know, in the wintertime earlier this year about how kids were being, how kids are being affected by being on social media. Instagram promised some parental controls back in December, and they have finally started to roll those parental controls out to the United States users. So, for example, um, Instagram lets parents and guardians view and set limits on the amount of time their teens are spending on Instagram. Parents can get updates on which accounts they're following and being followed by and receive notifications when they report uh, another user. So like, for instance, that last one, like if your kids get a DM and it may be inappropriate, you know, your kids like, hey, I'm not with this. I don't want to see this. And they report to that user that will fire off a notification to the parents Instagram or parents notification. Let them know your kid saw something. Somebody sent them something and they reported it. So um, this is going to make sense to make a lot of parents feel better. Again, you're going to have to sit down and talk to your kids because you're not going to be able to shield them 100 percent. And you're not going to be able to stop your kids 100% because there are burner accounts that kids use. Finstas. Yeah, Finstas. That's where that, that whole thing came from, fake Instagram, to where they use that and connect that to the parental accounts so the parents feel good. But then they use their real account for, you know, the, the grind, the, the, real, the real deal, right? So mm-hmm. ultimately, you're going to have to talk to your parent or your kids and make sure that your kids are in the right headspace in order to utilize social media and not either fall victim or have enough information to where they're making smart decisions when they're using social media. But it helps that Instagram uh, is making it easier for parents to feel comfortable with letting their kids use social media, if just by a little bit. So what I found interesting about this article is for now, it's saying that the teens will have to initiate the supervision feature. So the teens will actually have to turn it on to allow their parents this access. And later, I guess when the final version is released in June, parents will have the ability to start the whole supervised Mm. whatever, but the teen will still have to approve it. So it's one of those things where I get it, you know, these are humans, they have autonomy, they have the right to their devices and their privacy, all that good stuff. But to me, it kind of defeats the purpose, right? Or not? I'm not a parent, so I'm not Um, sure. Or is it kind of like it can go both ways? You can see where it's beneficial. At the same time, a kid can still open their fence if they're trying to do some shady stuff, plan parties, do all that kind of stuff. Look. I was a 14 year old (laughs) (laughs) and as a 14 year old, I was doing stuff that I was purposely trying to hide from my parents because I didn't want them to know. So I can't sit here as a parent of a 14 year old and pretend like I'm going to be able to lock down my kids to where they don't want to do the things <laughs> that I was doing or thinking the about same thing. right. when I was their age. Mm-hmm. So there's going there, that kind of, I say that to kind of uh, piggyback on what you mentioned, that the kids have their own autonomy. They have their own, they have their own privacy. You're not going to be able to be there 24 um, seven. I think Instagram probably doesn't want to get into that argument to whether or not kids have a right to privacy. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of leaving it open to let parents be involved throughout the whole process, right? But also have the kids involved, right? Because mm-hmm. what I would do is I would take my kid's phone, <laughs> initiate the process <laughs> on, their on phone, yourself, and then go on my phone and approve the stuff that I just did, right? Which is right. probably what a lot of parents will do. But That's because one, I have that relationship with my daughter and we've had the conversations to where she feels comfortable knowing that I know that that she's doing things on the internet. Now, past that, 
I'm not as a result of that conversation, as a result of that relationship, I'm not going to be that person that's sitting on top of them, mm-hmm. you know, hovering over everything. Why you like that do. post? Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> like my father does me, which is weird. <laughs> I'm 44 <laughs> years old and I'll, You're post grown. I'll post something on Facebook. He's like, what you mean by that? I'm like, man, go Get on somewhere. <laughs> so I don't want to be that parent. So, right. you know, after we go through and I give her my, you know, my expectations and kind of find out where she is as far as how she operates on social media. Sure, I would probably go through and strongly recommend she set these things up, but then kind of ease off and kind of, you know, kind of see where things go with the ability to be able to be notified if something, you know, that needs to be elevated comes through, right? Then I'll decide to act. But, you know, a lot of parents don't have those conversations with their parent kids at all. Their kids are running wild. Something happens. And instead of the parents saying, you know what, I should have had the conversation, they'll blame Instagram, they'll blame Facebook, they'll blame Twitter, TikTok, yeah. you know, Snapchat, they'll blame them, you know, so the, 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 um, the platforms are like, yo, what you're not about to do is blame <laughs> me because your kids are in the wild out here. So we're going to put some stuff in place you're to the make parent, you feel good. And, and this is your decision, how you want to handle it. It's you want to raise your children, we're giving you the opportunity to say, this isn't on us. You're raising your children the way you want and how right. you see fit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, that's all I had for uh, second string. Uh, we're going to move into for the culture and we're going to start with, she did that uh, our new segment uh, in celebration of women's history month. And I'm going to let Nika take over and um, kind of give us a highlight of somebody again, that's, in these streets as we speak. And I think I actually met, I think I may have met her at South by Southwest one year, but I'll let you go ahead and and give us the spotlight on she did that for this week. This week it is on Catherine Finney, the founder and former as of 2020 CEO of Digital Undivided. And if you aren't aware, Digital Undivided is a nonprofit organization that merges data and heart to develop innovative programs and initiatives that catalyze economic growth in Black and Latinx communities. Basically, it's using data to make it a lot easier for Black and Brown folks to grow economically. Um, as I mentioned, she's a founder and former CEO. So when she um, stepped down as CEO of the org, she picked up some other things. She is the founder of the Dooney Fund, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is kind of in the same vein, but just takes a different spin on it, which is um, a micro um, investment type of company that uh, funds Black women entrepreneurs. This is in conjunction um, with her new, um, uh, I don't want to say startup, but her new venture where she is a CEO and managing partner of uh, the organization Genius Guild, which is a $20 million venture fund and studio that invests in Black founders. So she kind of gave up. She stepped aside from Digital Divide and went into a similar vein, but taking, it seems like, a different approach. In addition to those two things, she is also the first Black business author at Portfolio Penguin Books. She is, you know, we talk a lot about technologies. We talk a lot about STEM on our show, it's mostly the T in STEM, but she is more on the science side of, okay. of STEM. She is a Yale-trained epidemiologist. So in addition to her background in the medical type of science, she is also, um, as we mentioned before, um, uh, on the technology end by um, being named Inc. Magazine's influential influential woman in tech. Um, Some other honors and accolades that she has amassed include the Echoing Green Fellowship, Eisenhower Fellowship, um, Entrepreneurs Magazine's Woman to Watch, Grace Hopper ABIE Award, Marie Claire's 10 Women to Watch, Ebony Power 100, Black Enterprises 40 Under 40 list, and she also served on the National Advisory Council of Innovation Entrepreneurship 
under the Obama administration. So she is definitely out in these entrepreneurial streets trying to make it easier for Black women and Black folks to succeed in the business world. Yeah, and it looks so that's like how she did that. Yeah, so it looks like, you know, her going from Digital Undivided to uh, the Dooney Fund and the Genius Guild. I think it to me, it looks like she started as, you know what? We want to give black entrepreneurs love. We want to give them support. We want to make connections. We want to build networks so black and Latinx founders can do good. It looks like she realized it was like, look, they need money. So <laughs> we got enough the, the, mentorships. The we got enough partnerships. Let's get yeah, to the, love, the dollar dollar bills. The love and the networking and the support is Great. good. They we need did. money. So it looks like these other two things where it's like, look, we are investing directly into black founders because that's what we are missing, which is, I mean, can never, can be more true. You know, you sure put me in your network, but I need money. <laughs> so shout out for her for actually, you know, making that switch. Cause again, like I said, a lot of black founders, a lot of startups, they're tired of the runaround when it comes to trying to get funding. You know, so uh, shout out for for that. All right. All right. So uh, the next story we had up, uh, you uh, put in. Um, <laughs> I guess it's it's kind of mixed as to how people feel about this. But uh, yes. Ralph Lauren uh, has partnered. It seems like it's partnered, not just they released oh, yeah. a fashion line. They actually partnered with HBCUs to release a fashion line. So I'll let you kind of break it down and we can kind of talk about how people feel about this. <laughs> right. So um, it was released. Well, it had to be yesterday, which was Tuesday, because of course the internet went a buzz, um, not necessarily because of the partnership, um, uh, but the content from that partnership. So um, Ralph Lauren, which is a quintessential American brand, very preppy, um, aesthetic, um, black folks rock hard with the polo for certain. And so they created this, um, new collection that celebrates the history of two of the most known HBCUs, historically black college universities in America, right here, based right here in Atlanta, which is Morehouse college and Spelman college. Um, and, when I first saw the pictures, I was like, is this 1950? Because the, the aesthetic of the clothing and the way that it was shot, it was very reminiscent of the 1950s. I was pretty shell shocked when I first saw the, the clothes. Then after I kind of took a beat and went back, I looked at things in pieces and not as a whole. Mm -hmm. Looking at the the clothing in pieces made more sense. The way they had them styled was kind of off to me. And what they initially released, I was like, yikes. But seeing some of the sweaters, you know, that the the guys are that they wore, I was like, okay, this is kind of dope. I could see how they could make how this could be a thing. But of course, Twitter got a hold of it and they saw the Instagram got a hold of it. They saw the images where it really did look like a throwback to the 50s, right? And people were like, oh, it's based in classism because they were saying it looks very, you know, highbrow and everyone can't participate. Then they went with the whole, why does it always have to be if it's Black stuff? It's like old from the 1950s and 1960s. Why can't it be now? Then it went into the diatribe of why is it always Morehouse? Why is it always Spelman? It's more HBCUs in this in this country than just these two, just then more than just them and Howard and Fam. There are other HBCUs. When I took a beat and kind of stepped back from all of the noise, what people I think are missing is that this collection was designed by a Morehouse alum who started working at Ralph Lauren when he was 16. Um, and apparently, you know, reading up on him and some of the background, he was known as Mr. Polo, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. When he was on campus and he was in the yard at Morehouse, he was poloed down before he 
you know, that was kind of his thing. And they were like, if you know him, this is completely his aesthetic. This is completely mm -hmm. what he is all about. So the aesthetic is more of the, of the, the gentleman who basically brought this collection forward. Um, and again, with the folks talking about why is always Morehouse, why is always Spellman? Because th in this particular case, the person went to Morehouse. So of mm -hmm. course they are going to advocate for mm -hmm. their alma mater to be, you know, in the representation. So you're starting to see some of the discourse kind of shift, but it's still pretty split where, you know, of course people who went to Morehouse and Spellman, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is great. People who didn't go to these HBCUs, who went to other HBCUs, oh my God, always these two, always these two. And then people in general is, you know, we have moved beyond, you know, the struggle of the Jim Crow era. So again, right. it's a lot of discourse, a lot of conversation um, around it. When you look at it more in context and at the, what's the word I'm looking for? At the more nuanced view, mm -hmm. it starts to make sense. But of course, people are going to get these hot takes off. They're going to see something and they are going to run straight to social media and give their opinion. So as a person who went to an HBCU, thoughts? Um, so at first I didn't look that deep into it. Uh, number one, I don't wear Ralph Lauren like that. So, um, I didn't have a dog in the fight directly. I did go to an HBCU. I did not go to HBCU in the fifties. So, but at the same time, this seems Ralph Lauren esque. This is not yes. something that out of the blue, all of a sudden Ralph Lauren decide this is what we're going to do, right? This is, this is not a, this aesthetic. is their aesthetic, right? This is not an aesthetic that is unlike Ralph Lauren. It looks very Ralph Lauren ish. It's just for this collection. Uh, again, I don't know. I'm not a stylista, fashionista, whatever like that, but a collection to me is almost like runway it, to where even though some of this stuff will be on sale, it's not meant to be for overall, this is how Ralph Lauren is going to look for the next two to three to four years. This is almost like an art project. That's what I think of a collection. And it's uh, a collection. Yeah. Right. I, I think I of a, a fashion line putting out a collection. It's almost like an art project. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's something that they want to display, a theme. Uh, a movement, uh, 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 a season, whatever you want to call it, but it's not meant to be, this is our stance on how fashion is going to look going forward. This is kind of like a thing we did. We want you to look at it, maybe buy some pieces, but this is like, look at this. This is a museum art project, right? So I looked at it from that viewpoint to where this is in line with Ralph Lauren for this collection, they decided to focus on HBCUs, which the popular thing to do now is focus on black folks and pick a era, you know, the 1940s and 1950s. Um, so looking at that, that's how I kind of looked at it. You know, again, I'm not a, I'm not a fashionista. So, you know, tell me if I'm wrong with you how are I, You are fully correct. Um, We'll post the, the link in the show notes, but it's an article from Vogue. And this really kind of gave me a more informed view. So it says in the article, quote, imagery from the 1920s to 1950s informed the silhouette. Silhouette means the cut, the style, and the shape of the clothing, all rooted in Ralph Loring's classic tailoring, as did certain key pieces from both Atlanta schools. So... You are completely correct. And that's what this is. They took, and if you look at the article, they, they have some images from the universities during that time frame. One of the images is, it's some young ladies sitting on the grassy knoll somewhere and right. sitting on the yard. And one of the shots from the, um, collection mm -hmm. mirrors this. Right, some of right. the, um, I guess the athletic, you know, attire looks like it's a basketball team. Mm -hmm. When you go back and look at the collection, it's like, oh, I see it. It's a modernized version, which it says in the article from the inspiration and the silhouette from the 1920s and 1950s. That's exactly where they took it from. And this is exactly what it looks like. Just and modernized. In, in, in my opinion, 
it ain't even modernized because I don't see a lot of people rocking this right now unless you are for your outfit, you're going for a specific look. I think a lot of people, um, the people who, you know, had arguments against this kind of took it as this is what Ralph Lauren thinks the trend for black people is going to be henceforth and now on, right? Ralph Lauren is trying to push this 30s and 40s civil rights movement look <laughs> on black folks. Right. You know? And that's not what it is. And that's not what they're trying to do. But, you know, they kind of took it as, okay, well, the one time y'all want to focus on black people is y'all want to focus on us when black folks in America really wasn't on good terms, which is why HBCUs came about. You know, right. we couldn't get into regular colleges and universities. So, you know, instead of y'all focusing on us back then, y'all stayed quiet. And then now when it's cool to focus mm-hmm. on us back then, now you want to pull out this fashion line and make this the new trendy thing mm-hmm. to be uh, 1950s HBCU chic, right? Which, uh, I mean, I can see people getting upset about that, but I don't think my impression is I don't think that's what they're trying to do. It's just, like I said, it's like an art project. And this is like for the art project, they focused on 1940s, 50s, HBCU inspired, you know, um, uh, a collection, right? Right. And the person who, who was responsible for this, James Jeter, his title is Director of Concept Design and Special Projects at Ralph Lauren. He graduated right. in 2013. So this is his this is his area. This is his concept. This is his special project. And again, if you're going to do something like this and you are an alumni of a school that you're fits plug, this, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to put yourself on. You're going to put your school on because it's getting a lot of eyes onto the universities. Not that they really need it because they're quite popular. Um, but at the same time, this kind of leans in, I hate lean in, but that's what I used, um, to, you know, it looks like Ralph Lauren, the company, uh, pledged scholarships into the tune of $2 million to right. 12, um, HBCUs. So it wasn't just these two universities, you know, getting something from this. They already had a partnership in place. That, um, yeah, everybody scholarships HBCUs. Nobody likes nepotism, and I use nepotism loosely for the fact that this guy went to Morehouse, so he put his college on. Nobody likes nepotism until they are in a position to actually do it. You know, everybody talks about, oh, the only person, the only reason why that kid got a job at this company or is working on this, uh, uh, corporation or got this job or got that position and um, is because they mama or because they daddy, but let them be in a position where they can put their kids on until they can benefit from it. Then the nepotism thing goes out the window. And I know nepotism is not the right word for what this guy is. Nepotism. Yeah. 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 But (laughs) come on. You, if I went to, I went to an HBCU and if I was the fashion designer for a major fashion house and they said, Oh, we're going to, you know, come up with a, a collection or uh, some sort of, you know, inspiration, you know, and they came to me and said, Hey, you got to um, do it. You lead it. <laughs> you run it. Uh, <laughs> what, what, who should we use to go on here? I'm going to pick my HBCU as right. the lead is, you know, so it's like, can't, can't knock the player. Right. You know, right. You know don't hate the player, hate the game, you right. know, but again, we're not a monolith. So. This you know, isn't for everybody. This isn't even for everybody who attended Morehouse and Spelman. Right. So uh, right. You know, uh, so I I can at the very least, you know, empathize with people who feel like in the wake of George Floyd, in the in all this, you know, brands and companies, you know, catering or not catering, pandering to uh uh black demographics. You know, they, I can see how they can see this as Ralph Lauren saying, ah, oh, what black people, what do we do? Uh, HBCUs go, you know, and then they put this thing together, you know, not really, you know, uh, exp- uh exploring the entire era and how, how, what effect did that have on African Americans and HBCUs and civil rights and all these things, you know, 
Um, I could see how they could get that, but at the same time, you know, I don't think Ralph Lauren, that's not necessarily their job, but at the same time, this seems on par or on what's called on, um, not on par, I guess on par with what Ralph Lauren would do as it relates to eras and right. designs of a particular era. And also you have to, I think people in their quote unquote outrage, they lose, I guess, a little bit of focus because during the summer of George Floyd's murder and everybody was saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. This is what that looks like. It right. may not look the way you wanted it to look, but right. this in the fashion lane, this is their contribution in addition to, you know, the scholarships of the 12 um, HBCUs. This, this is, this is the result. This is the fruit of those conversations. What can we do to help? And again, yes, George Lord's murder is quote unquote, not hot news or not the big thing that everyone's talking about. It takes time for these things to happen. Right. You aren't just going to get no company is just going to walk up to every black person and say, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Here's a, that's that's it. It's not feasible and right. it, it doesn't make sense. So in whatever lane that these companies are in, this is the fruit of their labor. This is the, the product of their commitment to outreach or to do something positive. Again, it's a couple years down the road. Which makes sense because this isn't something that happens immediately. And I think people in their full outrage forget that this is a process and this is how this is how it works. Right. Right. And, you know, we we always have the argument to where, you know, companies will do something and we'd be like, what black person in the room approved this? Right. right. That's that's our. You know, when they do something or say something or release something. Why wasn't a black person involved? Right. This is why we need diversity. And this is why we need people in the room. Right. So when, you know, clearly from the looks of this, you know, that we were in the room and we were included and we were actually, right. We were actually able to put our spin on it. You know, um, you know, you, you gotta give them a hat tip. Again, I ain't, I, I don't rock Ralph Lauren like that. Uh, you know, I ain't going to, they ain't going to get a hundred percent pass, but at the mm-hmm. same time, I see where they were trying to go with this. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, you know, maybe they'll see the outcome of this. Maybe they'll tweak some things going forward in the future, or maybe this will be their last of the activation, but I doubt it because the person who basically is the director of all of this, you know, kind of spearheaded it. Maybe the next iteration, you know, they'll take some feedback and do something a little bit different. Who knows? Right. Maybe it'll be another HBCU next. Maybe this is just the first in the line of things because he is director of, of special projects or something. It said. So I mean, sometimes you got to give things time to kind of flesh out a little bit before. Or you, know, you can you just not like world. it, and that's okay too. That is okay too, and I think a lot of it goes with the HBCU. You know, some of the hate of why is it always the same people. Right. That's, I think, factored into some of that as well. And I'm sure I haven't seen it, but I'm sure there are some people on the other side. Of, Why does it always have to be black people? What about this group? What about that group? Why? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to get our? It's always something. Right. I say, you know, this is getting publicity for the university. Hopefully, you know, some additional maybe donor dollars. Uh, you know, it's uh, some spotlight. So, you know, we'll take that for what it is. Happy for the people who want to buy some of these things and want to wear them. Good for you. This is going to and be great. Even in that, which is again, all the more reason to kind of look at this as an art project. Some of this stuff, it ain't, it's not now. I mean, you could probably take a shirt and put it, make it, you know, current. You could probably take, you know, a skirt or take, you know, a, a jacket or a cardigan or whatever and kind of make it current. Style it. Where it's more, yeah. to it. You know, um, but I don't think, you know, I don't think this was, again, like I said, I don't think this is Ralph Lauren trying to push this aesthetic on black people and say, look, this is what black people going to rock for the next, you know, a year or two, because this is how we're, this is the trend we see, you know, HB, 1950s HBCU chic. I don't think that's what they're trying to say. Right. You know, I think they're just, it was an art project, you know, yeah. and it was just meant to be, you know, take it 
take it how you want to take it. If you take it as, you know, wherever you want to go, you know, I don't think this is meant to be something that they're trying to make black people wear. Right. right. And looking uh, before we move on, looking into it, there are specific things in this collection that are nods to the universe, to the colleges. White patchwork eyelets and silk wrap dresses are nod to Spellman's annual white dress ceremony with the flannel blazers. It's a tradition that Morehouse men get as freshmen. So it's some history steeped in, I guess, the discourse yeah. of these colleges as well as, you know, you know, the fashion component. And again, like I said, looking at the pieces, not styled the way that the shoots are, but taking the pieces individually, I can definitely see how you can make these very modern and fashion forward. The only thing is this time of year, sweaters <laughs> and cardigans, right. they may have should have maybe switched yeah. it up a little bit and maybe did this, you know, going at the end of summer going into fall where you can kind of wear both of these things during that time. Right. So. And, you know, like I said, some of this stuff is very Morehouse uh, specific with the year, mm -hmm. the years mm -hmm. that the, the colleges was founded, you know, the, the, the logos and the mm -hmm. emblems, you know, I didn't go to Morehouse. The colors. Right. The colors. I didn't go to Morehouse. So, you know, the very specific stuff to Morehouse, I wouldn't wear it, you know, same way. I'm not a Greek. You're not going to catch me with no alpha, you know. Greek, prepare, Greek paraphernalia. Yeah. Right, right. It's just like something you don't do. So it's almost like a, I can respect this uh, having went to or have an affinity for an HBCU, even if I didn't go to the specific one. Right. Right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. All right. Yeah, um, we're off that. <laughs> we'll move into the hookup. Uh, I kind of talked about it earlier in the show, but uh, if you got some time, and you have a compatible Mac with uh, Mac OS. You got to have Mac OS Monterey 12.3 for your MacBook or your iMac or Mac Mini. And you have to have iOS 15.4 for your iPad. Uh, you can use Universal Control to use your iPad more seamlessly as a second display and to be able to work between your Mac and your iPad. So say for instance, uh, you took a screenshot of a receipt on your Mac and you wanted to save that to the photos library or on your iPad. Normally what you'd have to do is you have to do airdrop or you have to send it as a text message or send it in an email and then open that message up on your iPad. Well, with universal control, once you have the settings enabled, you can drag that screenshot right over to your iPad and save that in the photos library or attach it to an email, you know, whatever the case may be without having to jump through a bunch of hoops. So uh, definitely check that out. Like I said, uh, if you use a mouse uh, or use a separate trackpad in your like your desktop setup that includes an iMac and an iPad, uh, you might want to look at look into uh, universal control to be able to work more seamlessly between your devices. So that is my hookup for the week. And with that, I think is going to conclude our episode. Um, anything going on with you this week that you want people to know about? Sure. Um, I um, was a part of a new um, collection for uh, a friend's business. It is uh, handcrafted products, um, bath, body, and home, including candles, those type of things. They launched a new um, line of products recently. Um, and I was a part of that launch. So if you head over to all their social media, the video content dropped today. And uh, one of my videos was the first one that they put out um, for this new um, product line. So you can catch them on all their social medias, um, Bobbles and Beeswax on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, you can head over also to their website, bobblesandbeeswax.com. That's B-A-U-B-L-E-S-A-N-D-B-E-S-Wax.com to get all the pertinent details and to get some of my thoughts. On, right. So are um, you reviewing the product? Or are you just a part of the the aesthetic? We talked about aesthetic. I'm part of the aesthetic. So all there's right. a new line of products. Um, I think um, the one that they just released is uh, they have a dynamic um, line of products. So that's like soaps, 
candles, lotions, those type of things. And so it's basically getting my take on what is dynamic. All right. All right. Uh, nothing going on for me this week. Uh, you can catch me as usual on my other podcast, The Tech John. Uh, you can find us everywhere on social media or you can go to our website at thetechjohn, J-A-W-N.com. Find out our uh, podcast uh, episode for this week. And other than that, that is it. If you want to get more information about the SnobOS cast, uh, find everything, how to download the podcast, how to leave comments, how to support the show, how to share the show, how to find our clips on YouTube, how to join our Discord community. You can do all those things if you go to SnobOSCast.com. And until this next week, we are out. Peace. Bye, everybody.